Colossians chapter 2, 6 and 7. Listen to the word of the Lord. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So the first word there is therefore. And famously it's been said whenever you see a therefore, you should go back and look what it's there for. So if we go back, what's the therefore? What's Paul saying? He's saying, in summary, based on everything I've said so far, continue in Jesus. So what's the therefore? Well, since God's transferred us from the enemy's kingdom into Jesus' kingdom, since we've been recovered, since we've been forgiven completely, since Jesus is God's perfect image, since no one else in the universe shines as brightly as Jesus and we've come to know him, since everything has been made through Jesus and by Jesus and for Jesus, since everything that was lost through sin has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, including us, and since now we're face to face with the Father, holy and blameless in His sight, without a single spot because of Jesus, and since this mystery that was spoken in previous times in shadows, but's now been revealed to us through the reality of Jesus which is Christ in us, and since everything is in Christ, all mysteries, all wisdom, all knowledge, and since Jesus is in us who has all these things, and now since Paul is giving his whole soul and energy to get people to know Jesus, but then to get those who know Jesus to grow up to completion in Jesus, therefore, that's a short version, therefore, Therefore what? Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, now walk in Him. Just as you received. The way that it starts is the way that it goes. The way that it initially works is the way that it continues to work. So how did it work initially? How did this gospel work when, if, when you first received? Well, you knew you were not your answer. You knew you were not the answer and you knew you needed help. And you came to Jesus and he offered you a complete package. He finished a, he finished a work and you started by receiving his finished work. So how does it go? Does it start with him offering you a finished work but now you have to finish something? No. It started with you receiving something as a complete package and it goes on, it continues by you continuing to receive the finished work. You were not your answer. He was your answer. And you're still not your answer. He's still your answer. You were offered complete forgiveness, which you didn't receive, and now you're still being offered complete forgiveness, which you don't, which you, which you don't deserve. I said not receive. That's the wrong word. You, heard, you knew what I meant, even though I said the wrong word. You were offered complete forgiveness, which you didn't deserve, and you received it. And now every single day, you're still offered complete forgiveness you don't, don't deserve, and his mercies are still new every morning. You were offered a new heart, which you didn't make happen. And today you're still offered a new heart every day, which you don't make happen. You were offered a new way of thinking, a new renewed mind initially, completely different from the way that you thought because you were, we were all raised in the wrong family. We were all homeschooled in the wrong home. We all belonged to the wrong kingdom and we learned wrong ways of thinking. And today, every day, 
you're offered a renewed mind, a totally new kingdom way of thinking, other than the one that's natural for the world. You gave up on earning love, and now you just receive love. You gave up on trying to be worthy of God's love, and instead you were made worthy of God's love by the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's not true every single day for you. And if you drift from it, it doesn't go well. But if you keep coming back, just like you're brand new every day, just like you received the gospel, just the same way you started with nothing and you came and you received everything, every day you're called to continue to receive everything. Come with nothing and receive everything every day. Just as you received him, now continue. You started with grace, so now what? You continue in grace. You started with Jesus, so now what? You continue with Jesus. We making sense yet? I didn't hear one person say yes, which means something's going wrong here today. Paul says, why do you think that if you started with everything as a gift and you just receive and abide in it, that suddenly we would switch from you receiving and abiding to something else happening? Grace, as I've said a hundred times, is not the opposite of effort. It's the opposite of earning. If you're in love, you work much harder than, you, than, than if, even if you're in fear. Fear is a great motivator. You can get people to work really hard based on fear. But you can never get them to work as hard based on fear as you'll get them to work based on love. So grace is never the opposite of effort. The one who truly receives grace is going to work your butt off for Jesus, but out of love and freely for joy. And the one who's rooted in fear, you might work your butt off for Jesus, but not out of love. It won't bring you joy. But we kind of have this mindset that says, oh, if it's grace, then we'll just sit around and do nothing. So we need to balance, we say stuff, stupid stuff in our brain, we need to balance grace and law. No, we need more grace, more radically received grace. Grace is what transforms the heart. Well, we need, we need a balance then between uh, faith and works. No, no. We need to completely give up on our works and radically trust in Jesus, and he will produce all kinds of works in and through us. Anyway. You get, you get what I'm saying on that. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, now continue in him. Christ Jesus as Lord. I actually have numbered points. Should I tell you the numbers? This is point three, Christ Jesus is Lord. First point was, therefore. Second point was, just as you received. So third point is, Christ Jesus as Lord. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Sometimes I'm confused and wonder if people actually have received Christ Jesus as Lord. I mean it. Sometimes I feel like we're not even offering people Christ Jesus as Lord. They're not even receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. They're receiving Christ Jesus as some sort of savior, some sort of forgiver of sins. There's a sign when you go down south on 13, it says Jesus Christ is the only forgiver of sins. And I thought, that's true, but that's way less than half the gospel. If you get Jesus as Lord, you get him as savior. But if you try to just get him as savior, you don't get him as savior. Who's tracking? You got to smile real big after you say something like that because that, it can land wrong. You know. This is really interesting. So when you offer people Jesus, you should not offer them Jesus apart from selling out their life and obeying him. If you're not ready to follow him yet, then you're not ready to receive him yet. 
It doesn't actually work to give Jesus a foothold. You got to give Jesus the whole castle. And if you don't give Jesus the whole castle, what you'll find is you're incapable of following him and they'll conclude the gospel doesn't even work. Unless you completely sell out and follow him, he said this, not me, if you don't sell everything you got and follow me, you can't be my disciple. If you don't love me more than everyone else in your life, you can't be my disciple. Now, he's not trying to say, I won't receive you as my disciple. What he's saying is, it only works a certain way. And if you try to do it half-hearted, you won't be able to do it at all. The human heart is an idol factory. And if you put Jesus in the mix with all the other idols, you're going to think Jesus is just as powerless as them. Because you're so not in him. And then you're thinking, well, I got Jesus and it didn't work. I was in India and this kid was like, I want to receive Jesus. And I was like, no, you don't. And he's like, yes, I do. I want to receive Jesus. You need to lead me to the Lord. And I said, no, nah, you're not ready. You don't mean it. And he's like, no, please let me pray. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not letting you pray unless you're ready. And you don't look ready to me. And he's like, no, I'm serious. I just want to follow Jesus. And I was like, no, you don't. It was a lot of fun. Now, with certain people, they would have been like, oh, my goodness, Tim, you're the worst evangelist ever. I took him through Romans. I said, well, look, like, here's what's really going on. You can't just do the thing where you add Jesus to the list of, of gods you pray to when you get in trouble. Because that's what people do. Oh, Jesus, I need you to bail me out of this. And then what? You go back to living for you, but you're just really grateful that he saved you from that thing? Oh, my girlfriend hurt my feelings. Jesus, I need you now. Do you need him? Do you want him? Or do you just want to step on his head as a stepping stone on your way to getting something from him that you actually love and you don't really love him? That's not the gospel. That's not, that's not even salvation. That's using Jesus to get something that you want, and it's really mistreating him. But this one says, just as you receive Jesus as Lord, right? So I told the kid, I was like, I was like, nah, you don't, you don't mean business. You don't want to accept Jesus. You just think you do. And he's like, no, I'm serious. So I took him through Romans 1, and it shows how people are really, really sinful and upside down because we're disconnected from our source. And he's like, oh, man, that is true. And I'm like, do you acknowledge that humans, we're really, like, our problem goes so deep that our answer has to go so deep. Do you understand this is the depth of the problem? It's like, we are evil people. We're not just good people who have a hard time of it. We're evil people. You get that, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, then what are your sins? And he's like, oh, you know, I cut people. And I'm like, I say to the, this is all through a translator. And I look at the translator, I go, what's he saying now? And he's like, oh yeah, he stabbed people and went to jail for it. And I was like, okay, I guess we understand that we're sinners. <laughs> he wouldn't let up. He was serious. He wouldn't leave me alone. I kept talking to him about what it would cost, what it's going to mean. What's it going to mean? You're going to have to change your lifestyle. What's it going to mean? You're going to have to change your friends. What's it going to mean? You're going to have to change your language. What's it going to mean? You're going to have to change your priorities. Everything's going to have to change. Are you serious about this? I was asking him to count the cost. I don't care if I get him to pray a sinner's prayer. That doesn't matter to me because I know that unless he gets Jesus as Lord, he'll be in hell anyway. You can get him to pray a sinner's prayer and he'll end up in hell unless he actually follows Jesus and knows Jesus and does the will of Jesus' Father in heaven. We know this, right? That's Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So what good is it to lead someone in a sinner's prayer if it doesn't lead to them having a daily relationship with Jesus? Zero. It's no good. In fact, it's giving them false assurance of a salvation they don't have. You, are you with me? So either you have him as Lord or you don't have him at all. 
that kid prayed to receive Jesus after I asked him to count the cost. And he kept showing up day after day after day and he kept singing to the Lord and he seemed super happy. And I was like, this thing might have actually worked. What happened was I had a buddy, a group of us. When I got saved, a couple others prayed the prayer too, but their lives didn't change. And then one ran with me for a couple of months, but then he went back, back to the old lifestyle. And I was like, I don't understand. How can anyone taste this goodness and go back? It made me go, oh, you know what? I've got to take this more seriously. So when people come to me and they, they want baptism or they want whatever they want, I'm a little hard on them, you guys. I don't just go, oh my goodness, let's schedule it for Tuesday. Let's do it right now. I watch you. I press you. I ask you to count the cost. Because if you have just a little Jesus and it doesn't change your life, then you're going to think, oh, I tried that and it didn't work. So I'm actually partnering with a lie. Unless I keep like the standard where Jesus puts the standard. All right, that's enough on that. Jesus as Lord. Did we receive Jesus as Lord? And I've said this so many times in here. The, the false gospel, one of the false gospels that's out there right now is just like Jesus as the guy who is Lord later when we die. Like we're unchanged now. We're untransformed now. We're basically just the same as we were before, but we think, oh, but we're also going to heaven later. That's Jesus as minister of afterlife affairs. That's not Jesus as Lord. Right? And, and what it does is it actually robs the gospel of its transforming power because it only works if you go whole hog. There's nothing wrong with the gospel, but there's something wrong with only partially receiving bits and pieces of it and thinking that it's somehow going to work. It's not going to work, dude. You've got to go whole hog. You know, he's the pearl of great price that a farmer found in a field and sold everything he had so that he could afford to buy it. And when, he, and when he bought it, in his joy, he comes home going, yeah. And now he's infinitely wealthy, whereas before he was poor. It cost him everything he had, but he ended up way richer than he would have ever been. That's the gospel. You sell out and you get Jesus and you're absolutely richer than when you started. Or you don't sell out and you don't get richer and you stay the way you were and you think you know what you're talking about. You think you've been there and done that and tried that and it didn't work. And it's not, yeah, you hear me. Point four, walk in him. Uh, your translation might say live in him. So as you, just as you started in him, continue to live in him. But the Greek is the word peripateo. That was a lot of mm, Interesting. Plosives on the microphone. Peripatetic. The, a per, per, the word peripateo just means to walk. And so all over your New Testament, this word for walk is used to talk about how you conduct your life, how I conduct my life. So to say walk this way means to conduct your life a certain way. Interestingly enough, uh, Jesus was a rabbi who literally walked around teaching. And so to be a disciple of Jesus literally meant to walk with him and to walk like him and to talk with him and walk with him. And to follow Jesus literally meant to walk physically after him. So like when Jesus says to Matthew at the tax booth, follow me, he literally got up, left his tax booth, and followed Jesus. It wasn't a metaphor. It was actually literally happening. I think it's interesting that that's how it started. Jesus as a walking around mobile teacher he didn't have a classroom. He didn't have textbooks. He didn't have people taking notes. 
he walked around, and if you wanted him to be your teacher, you were going to have to go mobile too. That's just, you can't be his disciple and stay here. It just isn't possible. So when the guy's like, yeah, I want to follow you, but I got to go bury my dad first. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. How's that for intense? You follow me. Oh, yeah, I want to follow you, but I just bought this new pair of oxen. All right, well, then you're going to be doing the oxen thing instead of the Jesus and the kingdom of God thing. See you, bye. That's intense. So to follow Jesus in discipleship when he was physically on earth literally meant to walk after him and literally meant to follow him instead of any other pursuits. Very intense. And so then this expression to walk became the normal, or to follow, became the normal expressions used from then on to talk about obedience to Jesus, learning of Jesus, and following, being a disciple, a learner of Jesus. In fact, somebody actually worked out the math, tried to work out the math of all the places Jesus and the disciples walked, and tried to figure out the mileage. I don't, I don't have it written here, but I thought that was fascinating. There's a certain personality type, Charles, that like, they're the guys who, they're engineers, you know they, know, they don't just look at the car and go, it seems to be running. They know why it's running, and when it's wrong, they, they listen for the sound, and they figure out why. When those people read the Bible, that's the kind of stuff they like. They're like, hmm, I wonder exactly how many miles that the disciples have logged in these three years. Hmm. And then they're like checking and cross-referencing. That's a lot of walking, though. I remember the mileage, and I thought, wow, that's wearing out some sandals. You know, you don't have to worry about getting you know, overweight, because it's like exercise. You don't have to teach you to exercise. Just try and keep up. He's going. Where's he at now? Oh, we better keep up. But what about us? So Paul says, just as we started with Jesus, so now walk in him. Here's a question. How does walking with Jesus or following Jesus look different for us than it did for them? Should we break up in little discussion groups? Carolyn's like, I'll break up in a discussion group of one. Because it's clearly different, isn't it? Like Jesus didn't show up and, 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 um, you know, and say, follow me, and then I have to get up and... But he did say, follow me, and I did leave some things behind, didn't I? You had to leave some things behind to follow him, don't you? And you had to start doing some things you weren't doing before to follow him, didn't you? There's some stuff you're leaving behind to follow him, to walk with him. There's some stuff you're starting to do that wasn't in your life before to follow him. To walk with him means where his voice is, that's where you have to go to hear his voice. How does that relate? So there's times in your life when if you don't walk closely enough with him, his voice gets too quiet for you to hear. And if you change how you're walking or where you're walking, you now get within earshot again. Who's tracking with me? And there's some things that if you're doing what he's saying, then you're learning and growing. But if you're pursuing other things instead, then you're not. There's points of similarity, aren't there? I just love that expression, though, to walk. And then notice what it says. Uh, this is point five. In him, 
in him. They walked with him. But now we, because the Holy Spirit has come, we don't walk with him. We walk even closer than that. We walk in him. So just while we were thinking, and the last question, oh, don't you just wish we had him physically here so we could actually follow him? You would just know. If you look around and you don't see a Jesus, then you're like, I'm off the path. It would just have been a lot easier to know. And just when we're thinking, oh, man, just wouldn't it be so much better? Jesus says, it's good for me to go away so the Holy Spirit can come and be in you. The power source that I've been operating by, the, the one who helps me hear the Father's voice, the one who, because I only do what I see the Father doing. How do I see? Because the Holy Spirit opens my eyes to see. I only say what I hear the Father saying. How do I hear? The Holy Spirit is with my spirit and he communicates to me, says Jesus. So he was abiding in the Father. Now that we're connected with him, he comes into us and now we abide in him in the same way he abided. Abided? Grammatically, is that right? Is it Abided? Whatever, no one cares. We abide in Jesus in the same way he abided in the Father. So how do we walk in him? We stay in a heart posture of focus on him. We keep our eyes not physically focused on Jesus near us. We keep the eyes of our heart focused on the fact that the Lord is before me. David said, I have set the Lord always before me. Now I'll never be shaken. How? You picture Jesus with you or next to you. This is, this is a helpful exercise to look over in the car and picture Jesus sitting in the car with you. Now that's the truth, whether you picture it or not, that he's with you because he's in you. But sometimes it's helpful to picture it so that you can remember the truth of it and relate to him. In him, it's an upgrade. Uh, I'm on to point six, rooted. Rooted. I think that this word rooted deserves a full month, but I'm not going to give it a full month. I'm going to give it five minutes. <laughs> but if you feel drawn to spend a full month just reflecting on what it means, the, the, the New Testament and Old Testament theme of being rooted, which could send you down a rabbit hole of trees. And if you've been down the rabbit hole of the Bible and trees, that's a good one. Starting with Psalm 1, going through Jeremiah 17, and headed other places from there. I want to say three things about this word rooted. First, roots anchor. Roots anchor. They secure. They, they're immovable. One of the annoying features in the New Testament is where, where Hebrews says, don't let a root of bitterness grow up among you that will defile many. What's the point? Why even use the word root? It's extremely hard to get the roots out. It's easy to cut the tree down, very difficult to get the roots out. So unforgiveness is unusually difficult to get free of and to free people from. What's the point there? The permanence of roots. Roots anchor things. So three points. First, they anchor things. It's ex you can't just, you know, even if a tree wasn't as heavy as it is, if you went outside and I said, pull that tree out, you would not be able to do it. We were able to get this bush out with a tractor and some chains you know the bush that was all the worm, the bagworms ate right here. One, two, then this one's missing. 
We, but it took a tractor. Why? Because it's really hard to get the roots out. Me and Carl could have thrown our backs out and screamed a lot. Rusty could have aggravated his hernia. We would not have gotten that thing out without that tractor. Why? Roots anchor. You're supposed to be so... You and I are, are, are called, we're graced, we're gifted to be. We have the opportunity to be so rooted in Jesus that we're unshakable and immovable. Unshakable and immovable. Why? Because of our roots connecting into him. Second point I want to make about roots. The kind of soil you are rooted in matters intensely. What you are rooted in matters intensely. You remember Jesus talked about a house that's built on the sand versus a house that's built on the rock. And what he's talking about there is the foundation. Your foundation matters. Remember then he also told the story about the the parable of the sower. Some seed is on the path. Some seed is among the thorns. Some seed is on good soil, right? Some seed the birds come and eat it right away. What we're rooted in really, really matters. Who or what you choose to root your life in is, I think, one of the single most determining factors in your lifespan, spiritually and emotionally. Your health, your height, your strength, and your fruitfulness. The kind of soil a tree is in is the most determinant factor of its lifespan, its health, its height, and its fruitfulness. The most determining factor. What is it rooted in? Same seed, different soil, completely different results. What are you rooted in? A, bad, a tree that's rooted in bad soil can have its growth stunted, its fruitfulness stunted, or worse. A tree that's planted in good soil and planted either by streams of water or with a water source that you can't see but's underground, that thing's going to get strong and big even if it looks like it's in the middle of nowhere. Especially if them roots go down deep enough to get deeper than its dependency on the rain. If that thing gets roots down deep enough then when it doesn't rain and everything else dies, it has a source that the plants near the surface just don't have. Who's with me? Third, so that was my, my first point, was roots anchor. A second point is the soil that you're rooted in really matters. And the third point I want to make about roots, they connect the tree to the nutrients and to the water, but they do it secretly. They don't do it visibly. They do it secretly. They do it below the surface. They do their main work where no one else can see. But the proof of what they're doing is seen visibly above the surface. What's the point I'm making? I can never say enough about the critical importance of your alone time with God. Your life, like your life comes from your alone time with God. I cannot say enough about the critical importance of being alone with God daily, talking to Him, pouring out your heart to Him, receiving Him. Because our lives are the byproduct of whatever it is we're rooted in below the surface where no one else can see but Him. Those are my three points about roots. Next word, point seven, built up. The word used are rooted in Him and built up in Him. The word used that's rendered built up is a construction word. 
It means built up by stages, step by step, just the way you build a house, starting with the footer and then the foundation, and then you frame it in, and then you put the roof on, and then you put on the siding and the electrical and the HVAC and the plumbing and the insulation and the drywall and the siding. Did I say siding? Siding twice? Probably did. And painting and carpeting and flooring. And everything has to be done. I'm sure I got some of that in the wrong order, and you can fix me on that. What did I get out of order, Rusty? Windows, windows matter. Let's get some windows. No, we don't need any windows. Whoa, you know, who needs light? What? Skylights. Doors. Yeah, that's right. But everything has to be done in a certain order, doesn't it? And everything has to be done according to the plan. Uh, can you imagine getting all them builders together with no blueprint and everyone just deciding what to do next? That would be an interesting idea. Wow. Are we building a house here or are we just like doing an experiment? Everything has to be done in order and everything has to be done by the blueprint. And the blueprint is set by the desires of the owner. The, the, the one for whom the house is being built. And that is exactly what I just said is exactly what this Greek word means. It means to build something up in stages according to the predetermined plan. We are supposed to be built up in stages bit by bit into Jesus, and he is the blueprint we're being built into, but he's also the owner for whom we're being built. I just love this, this rich picture of, instead of, again, going this, this very weak gospel of Jesus as Savior that doesn't change my life, and I don't really know him, but I go to heaven later. That's so pathetic. That's, there's no gospel at all in that. Ah, which I could say more about that later. Like, I could talk about that alone for, for a long... Like, people think of hell as where God puts you so that he can punish you. But let's say you take God out of it and you just have the idea that you and I live forever and forever we're going to become, going to continue to become what we're becoming now. So the trajectory of our transformation now just carries on for eternity. Let's take God doing something to anyone, like blessing or cursing or whatever. Take that out of the picture and just picture it. What if you lived forever... And the direction you're growing into right now is the direction you continue to grow into forever. If you're the sort of person who only loves God supremely and takes delight in God and is growing in gratitude and thankfulness and joy and peace, you'll become more and more and more happy and contented the longer eternity happens, won't you? And as long as you have Him, you'll have enough no matter what else goes wrong. But if you're the sort of person that is grumpy and complaining and doesn't trust anyone or anything or doesn't love anyone or anything and is miserable with everyone and everything, including self, then the longer that happens, then no matter where you were, even if you were in heaven itself, you would be in hell. Are you tracking? This is why this thing of having Jesus... I'm going back. This is why this thing of having Jesus as Lord matters. Because you don't have a gospel unless you have a transformation. You, you just don't have a gospel. I gotta, I gotta press on. Hey, speaking of pressing on, there's a house we drove past every single time. I'm back to my point I'm supposed to be on, which is built up. There's a house, when we lived in Kentucky, every time we would visit Charles and Edith, we would drive past a house that was abandoned halfway through construction. The guy ran out of money or something, or maybe the permits didn't pass. I don't know what happened. But halfway through construction, this house... Was it every time we passed that, or was it... Now I'm, now I'm trying to remember exact. A lot of times I drove past a house somewhere in Kentucky. There we go. That'll make a safe bet. 
and it was abandoned halfway through construction. Every single time I passed that house, it felt prophetic. It felt like a warning. It, it was sad. It just makes you sad. Doesn't it make you sad to see things that, were, that somebody started with a dream and it took off, and then halfway through it died, and now it's just like standing there like a, a monument to failure, either a failure of planning or a failure of financing or a failure of counting the cost or something, but it's a failure, and it makes you sad. It bothered me for like the eight or nine years we drove past it. And Paul is saying, guys, I don't want your lives to be like that with Jesus. I want, to, I want to see this thing completed. I want to see this thing go all the way to the end. I want to see you run hard till your life's over. I want to see you walk in him and know him and grow up into him. I want to see every single believer mature. Let's finish the race. Let's run well. The thing Richard Showalter told me so many times in our conversations, he would conclude by saying, press on. He would cheerfully say, well then. Sounds, so, sounds good, Tim. Press on. Just press on, Tim. Recently, Jewel Showalter said the same thing to me in an email, and I thought, hmm, sounds familiar. Press on, Tim. Press on. Established in the faith. We're almost done, guys. Established in the faith. This word for established means confirmed, ratified, guaranteed, proven. We see businesses or t-shirts, they have the business and then they have underneath it established and then the year of establishment. What's the establishment? It means that's the year that they were legally incorporated and legitimately recognized as a company. To be established in the faith means that the gospel is working in us in such a way that our lives prove that the gospel is working in our lives. To be established in the faith is to live our faith in such a way that our lives guarantee, ratify, prove, ah, this is a real Christian. This person's really in the faith. And a word about trials goes here. The way that your faith is established is by trials. You don't know if the bridge that was built works till a heavy load crosses it and it doesn't even strain. You don't know if the Christian trusts God until suffering and hardship comes and their trust is proven real. You don't know if your love is real until hatred is directed against you and love comes out of you. You don't know if your peace is authentically from God until circumstances fall apart and you maintain your composure and rely on God. And I, should have, I could have said this up in the rooted thing. If you put trees in a, in a greenhouse, they have no need to send the signal to the roots to go deeper because they don't go through storms. The tree has to be taken out of the greenhouse, placed in the storm, because then it tells the tree, it gives the signal to the tree, that, whoa, this is crazy. And they send a signal to the roots, I need you to go deeper. Trials are good. They establish us in the faith. And they reveal whether the way we're thinking works or doesn't. Flip into self-pity, blame, resentment, anger, all this. You're establishing that you're not in the faith. 
Or at least that part of you ain't. Just as you were taught. Almost done, guys. Paul stresses that just as you were taught, because he knows their teacher was an orthodox Christian with character. And we all need that. We all need faithful teachers, and we all need orthodox teaching. To receive from a good teacher requires humility. And to change our mind to submit to what the faith has always believed instead of what we think also requires humility. And final point, be thankful. Last night at Monday, I noted that the Greek word for grace is charis, and the Greek word for gift is charisma, and the Greek word for give thanks is eucharist, and the Greek word for joy is kara. Charis, charisma, eucharist, and kara. Notice that? Joy, thanks, grace, gift, thanksgiving, all of it is the same root word. And this was the point I drew from that. Thanksgiving creates joy. Grumbling and complaining is the praise and worship of hell. Grumbling and complaining feel like the right thing to do when the circumstances are bad. We feel good when we complain. But what they lead to is that we end up feeling miserable and being miserable. Sometimes it feels like work, like trying to get a grumpy mower started to get your rejoicing on, to get your thankfulness on, to get your praise on, to get your gratitude on, to adjust your attitude. Sometimes requires a little pushing, a little effort, a little strain. But once it's running, whew, it's a whole different thing. And it changes everything. We're called to give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for us who are in Christ Jesus. And now it didn't say give thanks to God for all circumstances, but in the midst of all circumstances, we're called to give thanks. Why? That way the circumstances don't determine and fashion and shape and mold us. But the gospel that never changes determines and fashions and shapes and molds us. Thankfulness is one of the ways we're, putting, we're, we're sending a signal to our own heart to put the roots down deeper because we're in a trial. All right, go ahead and stand. So Lord, I thank you. Thank you that you just place this hunger in us to know you in a deeper way. That there's just never complete satisfaction and contentment with where we are. And I mean that in a healthy way. Bless each and every person here. I pray they know how much they're loved. In Jesus' name, amen.